summer's afternoon I took the bus from Flores And she was heavy laden Away we went and I got it Went straight to see the racing blade Oh, he lands You should have seen us getting Passing the bus along the road All of them were staring All the lads and lasses there They all started faces Getting along the scots would roll To see the blade racing We flew past on side factory your what is good, ladies and germs, it is another episode of CHN Radio, and I am Elijah. Today, I am, of course, joined alongside by the co-host, co-hostess with the mostest, Joshua. Joshua, how are you? I'm good. I'm happy, happy, happy to be here. Oh, well, uh, that's three happy, so I'm sure that that means that we might have a good pod. It, who knows? Who knows? I'm, who yeah. am I to tell? Maybe I'll give you two more happies, and then I'll give you five happies, and then you'll know why I'm that happy. Oh, oh, no. See, uh, that's, that's pretty smart. That's pretty smart. Um, real quick, let's let's get the housekeeping out of the way. You know where to follow us, at CHN underscore podcast, at Coming Home in UFC. Uh, please check out the site. We got some more folks in the fold, including the reintroduction of an old friend. Uh, Graham is back in the fold, and so longtime CHN listeners will have remembered uh, Graham from his attempts to teach me Jordy slang. So we'll have to try to figure out uh, a time for him to get on the podcast. It's just so tough now. It's basically we're eight hours <laughs> behind <laughs> Newcastle right now. So yeah. it's like, it's it's going to be tough, but we'll figure it out. Well, maybe actually it might not be now that I think about it. Like if we do a quick hitter after we record, that's like in the morning when Graham's up. So I don't know. I'll 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 think on it. But yeah, look he's back it, in the fold. He he wrote a great piece on uh the takeover a year later. So mm. check his stuff out. Antonio's still in the fold, and some a couple more writers are now starting to to get the wheels in motion. Um, but yeah, so check out the site coming up Newcastle dot com, um, where you can get all the goodies. Uh, Joshua, you got anything to plug? Um. No, I'm still. You know, we just uh, agreed a deal with. Um with uh an artist a particular artist so you'll be familiar with his work he did a lot of the match programs last year and i'm uh, still doing deep research on andy cole so um we'll have that piece out as soon as i have all my sources lined up i i have a i have a degree in history and another degree in literature so uh, you'll you'll see (laughs) you'll see that level of research and and notes in my in my piece we are going to see andy cole like in a light we've never seen him before we're gonna know about his 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 <laughs> siblings what they went on to do like all <laughs> it's gonna be insane as as someone who enjoys consuming history content um my other pods i listen to are history just because i, I i'm sorry i cannot listen to like so many like football pods because i just get football overload so i gotta break it up and so i'm yeah. excited to, to, to read this when it comes out and maybe one day i'll follow up on my promises to continue writing again for the site start small when you know start small we'll work our way back up to writing regularly um cool so let, let's hop right into it uh yeah. joshua you got a, a newcastle women update for us yeah the newcastle women lost to durham sestria and penalties in the fa wnl cup and uh, i guess now they get to focus on the league in quotes um yeah. they start as we record on a Tuesday night, um, they start tomorrow away to the exact same team, Durham Sestria. So, um, you know, fingers crossed. Good luck to the lasses. A win tomorrow will take them top 
above Leeds and Barnsley. So, um, and we know uh, focusing on the league is actually super important anyway because only one side get promoted up from the table. Yeah. So good and, luck uh, to them. It's also really funny the 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 in quotes focus on the league is like that's that's that was Newcastle the last like probably you know pre how the 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 three years before where we're in the uh we're we're in the we're like you know about to be in a relegation zone and like we get eliminated from the FA Cup in 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 after the first match and uh everyone's like well you know it's not a bad thing now we can focus on the league our depth's not there you know got to make sure that we finish you know 15th or 14th or 12th or whatever um so that's funny uh and speaking of uh Eddie and and the magic he's worked at Newcastle we recently we kind of alluded to this on the last pod, the the the, the point five pod, the half a pod, um, that we were coming up on takeover anniversary. The pod actually dropped on takeover anniversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty cool to see kind of everyone remember some of the really cool things about the takeover, and it was kind of funny to see some of the reactions of like just. I mean, I think any rational person in the moment knew that like this didn't mean Mbappe and Neymar and like. I think the national media in the UK, especially just, they don't understand when a fan base is like joking and, and trolling. And, uh, yeah. and so um, uh, when Newcastle fans were making photoshops of Mbappe, I think those people really thought that Newcastle fans were going to get Mbappe. And they thought that like, that's what Newcastle fans wanted. And they were berating them for saying, we aren't going to spend all this much money. When in reality, Newcastle fans were just happy with owners who wanted to invest in the club and, a year later, it seems like that is the case. Um, just some small notes outside of how we can get into how, uh, in in cre- like you know, uh, how after this in a sec. But I do want to point out like a lot of the things that the the owners had promised are are in motion. Um, yeah, you know the the women's the the women's club being absorbed by the the first team. That's something we've talked about on this pod. Uh, the improvements to the training ground that are temporary right now. We're talking a, a you know a million plus dollars, and that was something Eddie Howe brought to the to the fold. But um, it's something that the owners immediately signed off on, just doing small improvements to the, the training ground before um, the the new training ground is built. Um, and that's stuff that's currently in the works. Um, there's already rumors uh, floating around, and um, you know Graham actually is one who tipped me off to this, but he's trying to just work out sources. That uh, that that there's plans for same expansion. Like there's a lot of the things they said they would do, they're doing, and they're being involved in the community, which is mm-hmm. what they promised. I mean, they've been at all the foundation dinners. They've worked closely with War Flags. They're working closely with with micro influencers, which are just very localized influencers. Like you know, love or hate Adam Pearson. Like they've actually worked with him. I mean, he's he hosted. Um, I forgot Garan Cole. I think that's how you say his name. Yeah. Uh, he hosted him um, uh, on the away trip, uh, allegedly. Uh, so, mm-hmm. I mean, and he's obviously just been involved on and allowed to be at the training ground and, and behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff. And it's just been a, a breath of fresh air after a previous owner who, I mean, wouldn't even talk to journalists. And now you have this new ownership group that are a little, perhaps at times too chatty with journalists and uh, we'll, we'll tweet at people online and respond to, to fans. And that's just, it's just a breath of fresh air and you can see it top to bottom from the Twitter account to, uh, to, to Jamie Rubin and, uh, and, and all the lads on Twitter, just responding to folks and, and 
just really making fun of themselves. So it's been cool. Uh, any overarching thoughts before we dive into a couple specifics on uh, on Newcastle uh, since the takeover? Yeah, it's a it's a whole new world, really, for supporters, for fans. Um, and I think that um, as we see a lot of these promises are being kept, um, it also echoes a lot of the sentiments of the managers, love them or hate them, you know, before. Uh, Rafa Rafa was banging on about the need for uh, an improved training ground, um, you know, and it was one of the one of the things that Ashley had pushed back on. It was like, you know, he's not going to invest the money in that shit. So that wasn't something um, that was ever going to happen with previous regime. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's it's um, it's really coming into its own. It's exciting to see. I know that we don't live there, you know, so it's it's something that we admire from afar, but the, it's not just injection of cash into, uh, new players. It's, it's not an overinvestment on, you know, high, um, you know, big name players. What it is, is it's sort of like catching up on investment on the team. Uh, you know, a friend of mine who's a Liverpool supporter had said, you know, was, he was talking some junk about how much money Newcastle had spent in the last year. And I said, but you know, you've, you still spent more at like a, you've still spent more, but to like cut them some slack because they haven't spent that kind of money in the last few years. So it's, it's time to buy these players that they have not been buying and there's no reason why they shouldn't. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been a real exciting year and I'm sure that the article, oh God, probably covers so much ground and, uh, so many other podcasts, especially by Jordy's who, who live in Newcastle can kind of speak to the change that's taken place in the, the atmosphere there and, and sort of the all around, um, attitude, uh, you know, that's, that's something we can't really touch upon, but we can see from a distance. Yeah. Um, and I, I think one of the big things that, that you mentioned about investment is like, I mean, it also takes a certain type of manager to get the best out of the players that they're given. And so you, you knew, we knew that it wasn't going to be, uh, you know, contrary to what some some fans wanted and what a lot of media just assumed would happen. Like, they were going to do a Nottingham Forest, which, by the way, I don't know if you saw this, Josh, but uh, Nottingham Forest fired their chief scout and their head of recruitment <laughs> today. Oh, um, today. Yeah. Well, they just came so, off the bottom of the table, though. They're, they're a point clear of the very bottom, so I don't know what yeah, they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that that was that was something that happened. But yeah, I mean, but Nottingham Force is a good example of like, you know. And again, some of it is out of out of their control. They lost a lot of players, but it's not yeah. feasible to assign twenty players in a window and completely refresh your squad. And like, for the record, I think individually, Nottingham Force have signed some really solid talents that could pan out long term in yeah. the Prem or just in Europe overall. Like, they, and they've got a good mix of veterans that have been in the prem and like players that are like you know entering their prime and then some young pieces like on paper it's a good team but it also it's just tough to make all those pieces fit off rip so that's a quick aside but the the main point is that you know the the, we're not talking about how great newcastle is a year on and them you know challenging for the top six currently which again who knows if that's 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 going to stay without mentioning that eddie howe has been unreal uh, since he's come in, you know, I think initially there were concerns about his 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 ability to create a team uh, that 
would have a solid defense um and newcastle Mm -hmm. since he's come in have been one of the best defensive teams in the prem just just very organized front to back and part of that is the the players that they identified and people have to remember like eddie howe before dan ashworth came into the 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 fold was out here identifying targets as well for newcastle um and helping out with steve alongside steve nixon to really mm-hmm. rubber stamp some of these targets because again, you know, our owners as gr- brilliant as they are, they aren't experts in, in scouting. So he's done an excellent job and he's individually improved so many players. Um, Josh, I know in the notes you have one player in particular um, who could be heralded as Eddie Howe's best improvement. I don't want to say ever, but I mean, I don't know if he's improved any other player to this to this degree. Uh, but yeah, you, wanna, you know, you reveal. I, I would be really interested in speaking to maybe a longtime um, Bournemouth uh, supporter mm-hmm. and who who might be able to confirm, like, if this is something that Eddie Howe does. But I've heard it referred to as the Howe effect, right? And so the Howe effect last year, um, Joelinton, Joelinton, you know, looked looked dead in the water, looked like a, I mean, for the last couple of years, like we didn't, we didn't know what to make of this guy. And I was like, if I started a new game of FIFA and started a whole new management, he's like the first thing that I like sell. He's the first player that I traded away or whatever I could do. Um, I wouldn't do that now. Right. And in real life, which actually is what matters the most, Mm -hmm. he's a completely changed player. Like whether it's from his position, which he, you know, he, he has done, but even then, he can play slightly out of his newfound position and still be effective on the yeah. pitch. And so it's not just a newfound position, but it's a it's a newfound attitude and appreciation for him. And and we know, um, you know, before him, uh, before how, you know, maybe the previous manager just didn't know what to do with him. Uh, he didn't know where to play him. And that was quite evident. So I, I would say um, the how effect has had its most impact last year on Joelinton, um, you know, biggest improvement. So, you know, who stands out so far this year? I mean, especially the last two matches though, have been an absolute eye opener. So you could probably look at a couple of players and go, okay, is the how effect, like, is the how effect ahead of schedule on one or two players here? Um, is it just an anomaly that they've, you know, they've, uh, played so well the last two matches or is it like, is this what it's going to be like? So, you know, yeah. in, in your opinion, like so far this season, who stands out as um, having been impacted the most by by house system in uh, this season? I mean, I think it's it's it, the, the, the obvious answer is probably Miguel Amiron. Just I mean, you know, he's he's going to I mean, I think he might have already surpassed his, his season high uh, or career high at Newcastle. Um, so and it, it's very it's it's within the realm of possibility that he he finishes with double digit goals for yeah you know one of the first times first time at Newcastle for sure and I'd have to go back and actually look to see his Atlanta United output because as an Atlanta United fan I I honestly outside of the hat trick I don't you know I don't recall him scoring a ton of goals uh, he's just way more of a creator like him and Joseph just like beating folks on the counter um, that kind of stuff pure pace blah 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 uh, but. I mean, it, it has been insane uh, to see the transformation and like, I mean, he's proved me wrong. I mean, I, I've been very much, a, I've been an Almiron fan, but I've, I've been a critic uh, and and I've done the, he's not playing in the right position, uh, you know, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I've called for the, him on this podcast many times to not be played on the right hand side. But I mean, he's really found his, his, uh, 
his uh his footing as an inside forward forward or and be able to cut inside and and hop into those the the and, and basically you know utilize the space that's been created by others um, who are who are dragging defenders out of position and put himself in dangerous positions and he's he's gotten much better at knowing when to not over dribble just play, play the simple ball you know back to Kieran or play the yeah. the simple overlapping ball or cut inside and just find Bruno in the middle of the uh, of the pitch or find ASM um, it's just gotten a lot better than uh, Miggy who in the past maybe was just trying to beat guys off the dribble because I mean that's what's worked for him you know everywhere in Cotton Bowl and in MLS and back when he was playing in Paraguay like that's what's worked for him he's always been able to beat guys off the dribble and just sprint past them and then after that it's like you know you pick your poison do you want to you know find the pass or 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 score 1v1 um and so it's been different uh for sure and I do think part of that though does come down to uh I think every good manager um has a very specific plan for their players and you hear about this with like Pep and uh guys like Jose Mourinho like they'll they'll come in and they they meet with every player you know with with the coaching staff and is like this is what we think you need to work on this is where we see us you, you being utilized this is xyz blah, blah blah and for so long I mean under Bruce I mean Rafa was similar to this as well Rafa was very direct of like this is where I think you should be doing it it's you know one of the reasons allegedly him and Mitrovic butted heads was Rafa was like, I need you to do this. And Mitro was like, uh, didn't agree or whatever. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the better managers have a clear plan for every player. Yeah. And it's it's down to a science. I mean, it's to diet. It's to off-season workouts. And how's done that? And, I mean, he's talked about the plans he's had for ASM, for Callum Wilson, for Ryan Fraser, just to try to get them, you know, a bit more fit. I mean, I've it's the the record's not showing for itself so far this season, but uh, it mean, but even having the wherewithal to have plans for those individual players and for every single player, so that everyone understands their role and like when they are on the pitch, they know exactly what they're supposed to be doing and exactly like where their strengths lie. And it's, I mean, even like a guy like Jacob Murphy um, is another one where the yeah, last couple matches go, he's, yeah. he's been incredibly it's impressive like, yeah. because. He's not doing too much. I mean, it was similar mm-hmm. to Almiron where it felt like in the past, Jacob Murphy was just like, I got to beat everyone off the dribble. I got to sprint past everyone and just have a shot. And he was always taking shots and was like, all right, dude, like maybe like I used to joke about him just like the post was going to have a, a it's it's worst day if Jacob Murphy's out there because this guy would just take shots from distance. <laughs> just beat it. Hit, yeah. Beat the post. And it was just like, all right, dude, maybe, maybe lay it off. Uh, like it's two V one. You don't have to take the shot. Um, every single time. And so I think like there's a lot of guys who are coming on in the pitch and they, they understand what they're doing. I mean, Sean Long that's another one who clearly benefited from someone who had a plan form. And when someone like Steve Bruce, for example, came in and was just stuck people out there, uh, he, his, his play just decreased to, to levels. We honestly, like it went from Sean Longstaff, you know, selling him to man U for 25 million is, is, is never going to happen. He's no, we were angry about that. that. Like, yeah, yeah, then he's worth twice that. Yeah, exactly. We're like, never, no. (laughs) He's 50 million at at a minimum. And then it went from like that to, dang, we should have sold him for 25 million. And and now it's like, all right. I mean, he's definitely, I don't know if he's at that level yet, but he's, he's definitely a formidable midfielder in the rotation for sure. Like he's he's a, he's a great, yeah, he's a great midfielder. If he's, if he's bought into this, this program, if he's bought into what's going on here at Newcastle, 
I could see Sean Longstaff just staying. Yeah. Like, there's no I mean, reason. He's, he signed an extension, and I, I think, like, he's also humble enough. And I think that's the other thing is, like, there's a mentality where uh, Eddie's very clear about, you know, best man is going to play. And mm-hmm. so, like, if you're if you're working hard in training and you take advantage of your opportunities, yes, you can start five games in a row, Joe Willick, over over Bruno, Bruno G, who – just brought in and is, you know, no offense to Joe Willick, but at this stage in his career is three times the player Joe Willick is um, on paper. And, and because you are the hot hand and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and it's contributing to the team winning, like you will play. And it's, it's cool to see that because I, I've read so much about, you know, Manchester city and like how they've built things. And I, I think maybe this is the plan for Newcastle potentially down the road. You don't want to draw too many comparisons to city group. Cause that's just a different, like conglomerate all together, but yeah, they have a all. plan for every single Academy player from like, as soon as you're in the Academy, they're like, Hey, this is where we see you. You can hit these milestones, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all right, once you get, once you're 2020, we're loaning you to, to Melbourne. Like it's, it's very direct and clear as to like, what is each player is going to do their career path. And for some, it works out really well. And then for others, like, Zinchenko, for example, like, I mean, he followed everything to a T, but then he realized like, Hey, like I'm probably not going to play, you know, a lot here so I can, I can leave. And he did. And he's still great, but he was also really great when he was at Manchester city. So it's, it's a system and it's cool to see that sort of being implemented in Newcastle. Yeah. You know, and I'm glad that you brought up city. I think, um, the way that they set up shop, how long it took them 10, you know, it took them almost a decade to really be effective in their plan. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you could see the way that they spent money and sometimes um, aimlessly just blowing money to get players into the side just so that they can grow um, their stature. I think that might have been the initial plan with Citigroup mm-hmm. was let's let's bring in whoever, whatever big name we can, let's bring it in because it'll grow our it'll grow our status as an organization. And once a few big names are in, we can attract more meaningful big names. I mean, I haven't confirmed with them. I haven't read that anywhere, but you know, just sort of thinking about the way that they spent money. Um, it is blue, like loads of cash on players. And I think the league and the media perception of our club of Newcastle United was um, now that they're backed with so much funding, why aren't, you know, there, the, there was a certain expectation that they were going to do the same thing. And of course they did. They spent, they spent a large amount of money, um, but who do they spend it on? Like really thoughtful, meaningful, and purposeful signings that helped um, not only you know uh, avoid relegation, but actually finish in a, in a much higher spot than they than they looked like they were going to finish. Uh, you know, one third of the way into the season last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you <laughs> I had to bring this up. Uh, Gabby Gabby Abunglahor is still talking shit like. <laughs> A year on, like he can't, he can't get enough of it. The guy, I don't know what his deal is. Um, (laughs) And it's like Aston Villa fans in general. Like I, you know, like I don't know. I remember hating them years ago. And I think it was one of our relegation seasons. And they were just talking so much junk at the end of the year. And I was like, I, I hate this team. And I have hated Aston Villa ever since. And Gabby was like, Dude, this guy isn't good enough to clean the boots off of our squad, you know, and like here he is. He's still talking junk this week, um, you know, and he's just like, yeah, sure, sure. They avoided relegation. Sure, sure. They look real good, but they're still not a big club. 
And it kind of like, you know, you've got talk sport and I mean, talk sports, garbage, whatever, but the league and the media perception of the club, um, a year on, like for you, do you see, do you see media taking us more serious? Do you see, um, do you see clubs taking us more serious in their preparations or the way that they speak about us uh, pre and post match? I mean, I think you've already seen it on on both fronts. I mean, I think talk sport is is it's it's the bane of everyone's existence. I, like, I, I think they realized early on, uh, like in in since Newcastle, be, you know, got promoted again. Because honestly, I'm not going to lie. I mean. I've been plugged into Newcastle Twitter for a while and I hadn't seen talk sport as active on Twitter until Newcastle got back into the prem and, 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 uh, and maybe like your two or three, maybe year two of Rafa is when I really started seeing them just like really go. I, I wouldn't say go after Newcastle fans, but it definitely felt as if they were tweeting content that would purposely piss yeah, off Newcastle fans yeah. because they know that out of all the fans in the prem, like Newcastle fans are going to be the ones where like they are going to dunk on you. They're going to tweet at you, blah, blah, blah. But you know, one thing that I think Newcastle fans are hip to, but at this point just don't care is that like all that helps them. Like it's all engagement. So they're like more people are seeing their stuff. So like analytics wise, like, you know, a video for them on Twitter will get 40,000 views because everyone on Newcastle Twitter is talking crap about it to yeah. them. That doesn't matter because their social teams like, Oh, Hey, we just dropped, you know, three videos this week that got, you know, 300,000 views. And it's like, it doesn't matter that all of the comments are negative and that that doesn't matter because it's got a ton of views, a ton yeah. of likes, a ton of retweets, all that kind of stuff. So it's um, working. I, it's it's working for sure. And I mean, it's, it feels, I thought that, I mean, and they've, they've started, there's some, some pundits on there that have, uh, you know, complimented Newcastle and things like that. But I do think every so often, like you'll, you'll get a clip like this, this week where you're like, all right, come on, like, you're taking the piss. You just want a headline. Um, but I will say like one thing I have noticed on a lot of the pregame shows, and it started to happen at the end of last season when people started to put two and two together late on in the season that Newcastle, like record wise was just like up there with Liverpool and Manchester city in terms of just form since January is definitely people were like, this is a good team. And what Eddie Howe has done with the team is fantastic. And I think early on in January, sorry, in, uh, in in April and May, it was very much like, well, look at the signings. Like, they brought in blah, blah, blah. And then, like, people started to get smart and were like, well, I mean, they spent all this money, but, like, who, look who they brought in. It was it was a defender. It was a defender. It was a defender. It was a striker on a release clause. And it was, like, one marquee signing. And then people started to put two and two together. I was like, okay, well, yeah, like if you look at it, like they've just got, he's just gotten the best at a lot of these players. And this season, I think it's been a completely different story where people are like talking about, and I'm, I'm using Peacock because NBC, that's what I consume. But all of their analysts talk about how like if someone's got a tough match coming up or a run of matches, they're like, oh, well, they've got to go to St. James's or they've got to, they've got to play Newcastle at home. Like that's going to be a tough match for them. And there's been a lot more praise for Newcastle this season, for sure. And there's definitely a lot more pundits taking them seriously as a whole. And um, I do think that it's it's only going to get better and better. Are they in that top six conversation for pundits? No. I think they're in the same conversations that Wolves were in maybe a year or two ago, where they're, they're a good team. But, you know, I don't know if they have that extra oomph to – 
to, you know, really compete with the top six. And I think there are some guys that have thrown it out like, oh, you know, they could be competing with the top six within a year or so or within two years. Um, and then on a club side, I mean, we went through a a period in January in the summer where it seemed like Newcastle were not being they weren't able to work out deals for players mm. simply because they were rivals with some of these bigger teams. You know, you weren't able to get that that loan deal for Dean Henderson that's always been on the table or that signing for Dean Henderson's always been on the table. You know, it was on the table last January. Um, that's not on the table anymore or wasn't on the table anymore because Manchester United was like, well, wait a minute, that that's a direct rival now. Yeah. Like this yeah. is a team that in which like if we sell to this this team, it's it's a it's a it's it's a mistake. And you know, I think some people early on were very much like, oh, it's the big six bias. But I think as time goes on, I think people are starting to realize like if you're Chelsea, like I don't see why you want to sell a Connor Gallagher to, to Newcastle where, you know, for sure. Like he, why would he you? could improve their midfield and potentially challenge you in two years if Connor Gallagher is a beast in two years and it's because Chelsea sold him to Newcastle I don't think they want to make that mistake again even though they always make that mistake so I definitely think there's there's more respect and even how I mean we can talk about Brentford a little bit but Brentford did set up uh differently than I we both thought they would they went like three in the back uh, against us uh with with the with the wing backs and and trying to defend five in the back uh in in defense. So yeah, I think teams are taking this more seriously for sure. Yeah. 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 I will get to Brentford. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. Uh, yeah. I wanted to get to one more thing about a a year on. I mean, we started last year, uh, you know, um, 2021 with Steve Bruce. Yeah. And I think old Brucey having a couple of years, having a couple of years to go at it, not being able to figure out where to play certain players and getting transfers in and not knowing what to do with certain transfers. And, he literally made every player look um, undesirable. He made yeah. every player look like they weren't a Premier League level player. And I think last year when we started bringing on new signings, um, the the rhetoric around the existing players was that they weren't. This was a Championship side destined outside to go back. Outside of a few, out, I mean, outside of was, a few, I but think, even then, know, they think, yeah. The prevailing opinion was that this this team was destined to go back down, and that's yeah. just and you know and they and the media loved Steve Bruce like there's no there's no doubt about it they loved Brucey and he was telling them hey these players aren't good enough I don't know what to do with them I can't make this work and look what I were, inherited and look yeah. what the results I had and, and they were buying this hook line and sinker right and so when he when he finally gets the sack and here's you know um, Eddie Howe comes in and everyone's like well Eddie Howe's inherited this horrible team and of course it's only a matter of time before they go down why would anybody sign with them this is a disaster in the making and if we look at the players that said you know what I'll take a punt on that, you know, um, you know, Trippier and, and, and Bruno, I mean, without those two really being the first ones to sort of go out on a, a, a leap of faith, uh, I mean, along with, uh, uh, of course, along with Dan, uh, Dan Byrne, but I mean, this is his childhood team. He, he was never going to say no if he was given the option, right? Course, this is yeah. A, yeah, this is a club he'd want to. And for Chris Wood, he probably saw the the writing on the wall from where he was with Burnley and they weren't doing so hot either. So and, for him. I mean, and, and also like, yeah, I mean, it's easier decision for Chris Wood. And also, I mean, they paid a release clause and I'm sure they are, you know, paying a little bit more than Burnley. Uh, 
weekly wage wise as well, which yeah, that helps. It all yeah, it all helps. So I mean, a year on, like we still had the same players, and we have a few more good players. But what Howe has done is it's complete revision, and he's yeah. completely changed uh, how serious teams take them. And I just wanted to add this one thing. Um, so uh, old Steve Brucey, old Cabbage Heed, um, found himself with a new job after he got sacked. He took over. Um, you, you know, at, at West Brom and was yeah. uh, summarily released this this past week. He was sacked from his position at West Brom. And, and, and I, I, oh, you might say this. So actually, I, yeah, I'm not even, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, go. Yeah, um, I, I will just say that within the process of him taking the job in West Brom, not being able to accomplish anything, uh, uh, downplaying the players that he inherited after that club actually had gone out of their way to spend lots of money the last few years on on building that squad up. Um, mm-hmm. He did nothing positive with it and left on a note. He said, he said, I've been doing this for, uh, you know, I've been doing this for, for decades and you want to, you want to say that I don't know what I'm talking about. And then he was sacked the next day after he dropped that quote. So, yeah. uh, you know, and, and Steve Bruce is one of those guys where he was so well defended by uh, the, the media and so loved by them. Um, it's probably what it, it shouldn't surprise anybody that um, maybe give it give it uh, I would say in the, in the slew of post January window firings, it would not surprise me if he picked up a job at, a, you know, at a, at a struggling um, Preston North End or a Rotherham United or something. You know, he's he's not yeah. out of work. Yeah, I just this is the one thing I want to mention on Steve Bruce and I have like two more quick things and yeah. then we'll we'll take a quick break. When Steve Bruce was appointed manager of West Brom. I think this goes so far under the radar because I think people don't even remember this. West Brom sacked their manager um, because they felt as if, you know, with the money they'd spent, the talent they had, and I think a lot of people agreed with this at the time, um, they should be firmly pushing for automatic promotion. Um, and, and you know, obviously when you get to the championship and there's those top kind of four teams that are clearly better than the rest, yeah. like, it's really tough to, to yeah to vie for those those automatic promotion spots, and so they were in sixth when they sacked mm-hmm. uh, Ismail. I think is who they had before. Mm-hmm. They were in sixth <laughs> in eight months. Not only did they fall out of a playoff position altogether, which on its own is just wow. Like you're so much worse off. I think I w- if I were them, I would have sacked Bruce just based off of that. It's like. We gave you a team that was, you know, vying for a playoff position in playoff positions. And somehow, after, you know, you just had to man manage the team throughout the, <laughs> yeah, and, and win get matches. And you've, you've just boasted about how great you did at, uh, at Newcastle and top 10 and all this. So on paper, it's super easy for him to at least be in the conversation for playoffs. Eight months later, they are in 22nd. Their lowest league position for more than two decades. That, that, I think that's all I have to say about Steve Bruce. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll say just a couple of their just players to shout out that I think have done massively, uh, that have done have done really well under how I think John Joe Shelby is, it goes without question. He's had a nice second act in his career after coming and having a nice little, little, just, he's just bad. He had some, some seasons where he's been brilliant and, uh, so then just awful next year and then brilliant and awful and blah, blah, blah. I think he's definitely found his footing here. Um, and then Fabian Chair. I mean, he was great under Rafa and then just like forgot how to play football underneath Steve Bruce. And then, yeah. you know, again, we are 
months later, he's got himself an extension with the club. And he is, I mean, outside of Karen Trippier, he is the only player that's so far in the defense been undroppable. I mean, Karen Trippier, if he's missing a match, due to injury. Fabian Cher has held down that right center back starting spot for the entire time, despite people, I mean, myself including, assuming that like either Dan Byrne or Sven Botman would just, you know, play that that center back spot because they are the better players, you know, and uh, he's he's proven a lot of people wrong for that. And the yeah. last thing I'll say uh, on takeover stuff is, um, again, be sure to check out Graham's site. It's it's a nice piece written from a fan's perspective who's been a lifelong Jordy, and he's a, just a brilliant writer. And many of you have already read his work before. He's just he's a great writer. And then uh, we'll say the Athletic did a great three part series. We teased it on the last pod, but uh, all three parts are out now. It is fascinating to see. Um, Newcastle is perceived in Saudi Arabia as well, and then kind of what the next steps for the club are, uh, kind of just outlining all the sources. And that also does a decent job as well as getting uh, everyone's perspectives on what Newcastle is right now. Um, there's some some really good quotes from agents, other uh, scouting departments and stuff about how Newcastle have operated and the, the respect they're gaining uh, in the footballing community. So uh, with that, I will leave us with a little commercial break in which uh, I think they're going to advertise some Hello Kitty slippers. So here's that commercial for you. Okay, we are back after that commercial. Um, Let's talk about Newcastle and Brentford. Newcastle came away from Brentford with a 5-1 win. Yes, sir. what I would say, and Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, I would say the most dominant performance in the Howe era by far. Oh, that's tough. There was, uh, I mean, one of my favorite performances was uh, V Arsenal last year. Mm-hmm. And of course, and I think um, it was a, it was a great match watching them versus uh, Forrest to, mm-hmm. to kickstart the season. Um, we've seen great moments in many matches, but from, from stem to stern, I think this match against Brentford, um, was so you know what it was i don't know if it was the greatest one but i I will tell you it was the least stressful and i think after watching and listening to newcastle on the radio for for 30 years Mm -hmm. um you know there were some matches every couple decades there's a match that goes like this but i think where we're at in the table who we've got at the helm the players that are on the field this has been one of the least stressful matches I have watched at no point. Well, okay. There was a point early on. I think um, they looked Brentford looked like they were in it, right? They looked like they were going to play. They scored. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like and, and it was, and it was, and, and it was the guy that I said would score. Right. So yeah, that was, that was three matches in a row. I called the you're danger. Firing. You're firing on all of a sudden. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to circle back on something you said. Uh, they were playing four through three, four three three, four three three against teams that they thought they can get after, and I said that they played they played a, a, a five a, a five three two, right or mm-hmm. or a three five two right against teams that they were a little bit reluctant or they felt that they might need a little bit more support at the back, um, and so that's why we ended up with Tony and Buemo uh, up top. Um, 
So, you know, and that, so that kind of goes back to that perception of how teams are taking it seriously. They decided this is it. this, the only, only other two teams that they played that way were Liverpool and and Manchester city. Right. And so, and so they, they put us in that category. At least our attack is in that, is in the same category as Manchester city and Liverpool. But also when I say that out loud, I think part of that has to do with the press, right? Yeah. Um, how how has been implementing a press? Um, so maybe that was uh, maybe that was uh, uh, Frank's uh, response to a team that plays with a press. Uh, anyway, relaxing match, stress stress free. Just uh, seemed like a fun day out. I would have loved to been Tyneside. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, what makes it such a dominating performance versus the other ones that you you mentioned is just. Like I think in the other ones, you always walked away with being like, "Ah, we could have, we could have scored more." And here, I was like, "No, five goals. That seems right." Like it was, it was. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just yeah. one of those where like this was one of the first matches where like you we've seen the the the, the chance creation um, from Newcastle. I mean, and Forest in the beginning of the season is a perfect example of this, like creating so many chances, but it was still like somewhat disappointing to walk away from that with only two goals, given like the, the state of force at that time um, and just how many chances Newcastle created. But from this, like it was converting chances. Like, I mean, like all of the chances that we had easy, hard, there, there was no, like we talked, you know, a few matches ago about the, how did that not go in where, you know, was, we had the ball in the box and it pinged around 40 times. And it was like three different clear cut chances that I think two by Jolinton, maybe one by Fraser. Um, that was a couple matches ago. And it was just like, how does that not go? That was not the case here. I mean, everything that was in front of goal, it looked like it was going in and it did. And everyone, everyone ate, everybody ate. It was, it was dope to see. <laughs> and so for me, that's why it felt like one of the most dominant performances from Newcastle, just yeah. because, I mean, and it's just like, you played a full strength team who like are good. Like the Brentford are not a bad team. And maybe I'll eat my words at the end of the season. But from what I've seen, like, I think they are a solid team. Certainly not a bottom three team. And you put five past them. And uh, I think that's impressive. <laughs> so, Absolutely, um, yeah. So, yeah, getting into it, uh, we'll we'll quickly breeze through uh, the, the three words. Yeah. Um, just because there are some, if my mouse would, would work. All right, so uh, off rip, uh, Colby Wilson at C Wilson two two five. He said we've got two choices, and so he said he gave me I I got to decide, and I just said both. Um, and so his his two choices of three words are talk about Bruno and absolute ass whooping. Um, Trevor Mooney, the goat, um, who longtime uh, podcast listener, shout out Trev uh, at Trevor Mooney twelve. He says Iose still shite. Which Josh, uh, if you ever if like that that happens every single time, uh, we do three words. Is Trevor uh, says Iose is still shite. Uh, he's been saying that since the conception of this podcast. No one really knows why, and we've interviewed him, asked him about it, and he hasn't given us a good answer. Um, Mister Studio <laughs> Worldwide back again says another Newcastle thunking. Graham Scott at oh, NUC yes. Scott 1968. He says far too easy. Kim Avery, Kim Kerfuffle says Bruno bosses Brentford. Love the alliteration. Yes. Uh, Roy Chowdhury uh, says we got wood, um, which mm-hmm. I, I, I don't get it, but sure. Um, and then we got a couple more. Uh, Nicholas Wright says play like Almiron, uh, which, yeah, it's, a, it's like 
be like Mike, uh, play like Amaron. And then yeah. uh, Eric Schmidt <laughs> says Steve Bruce out, which I'm pretty sure he commented this Every when. <laughs> well, no, I think he commented this when uh, when Steve Bruce got fired, uh, which is fair. And then uh, Stuart Parker said no surprises there. And Steve Parker with a really unique one here. Uh, Rolls, roll, wow, roll, wow. I can't speak. Rolls Royce performance. That's embarrassing considering I worked for a luxury car company and couldn't say a competitor of theirs. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, those are the three words. In, and again, another positive three words uh, episode. So, um, real quick, uh, just, you know, thinking about the match holistically, uh, Newcastle, not really any surprise starters there. Um, probably the biggest surprise was, uh, well, ASM was back. He was on the bench. So I think we should mention that. Joe yeah. Linton was back and on the bench as well. Um, and uh, and Bruno and, and Joe Linton were both blonde, uh, yes. which which is key. It's key. It's well, key it's key to my three back. words. It's key to my three words. Okay, what's your three words? It's bleached Brazilian bangers. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Yeah. But do you know why that's key? You tell me. Bruno, uh, you know, uh, he when asked, he he basically said something along the lines in English. Uh, you know, I I when I, last time I did this to my hair, I scored goals. So I say, why not try this again? And I scored. And so I think I will keep my hair like this through the through the World Cup. And he's right. Like he, he, <laughs> he, it's like actually what happened was like he got his first goal for Newcastle after he dyed his hair blonde after an international break, and uh, it happened again, and he scored twice. So I think um, I, I don't think Bruno should ever dye his hair. Like he should just just keep his hair bleached. Like uh, don't why not? It's going to destroy his hair. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's terrible yeah. for your hair, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we can easily kind of go into just players of the match. Anyone stuck out to you on the Newcastle side? Um, I mean, there's so many options, right? I mean, yeah. the clear and obvious option is 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 uh, Bruno. Um, yeah. Um, but I always don't like to go with the clear and obvious. And then Miggy, I mean, come on, that's too. Because look, though, there's a the, there's the goals that he there's the goal that he scored, but there's the goal he didn't score. I mean, within five minutes, he had that curler. That yeah. left foot a curler on goal that was barely saved. You're right, right? Yeah. Um, Miggy, come on. This guy is improved by leaps and bounds. And I want to say probably, uh, oh, God. Yeah, I mean, it's either Miggy, it's either Miggy or it's Murphy. Um, so I will go MM, yeah. Miggy Murphy. Yeah, Murphy, Miggy all deserve good shouts. I think Bruno's the clear number one yeah. um, for like just if you're a, if you're a, a casual looking. We'll say both made both Miggy and Bruno made some teams of the week across the from from the pundits getting a lot more of those as of recent. I think Alan Shearer is going to have to probably put his bias aside because it feels like anytime Newcastle get a win or have a good performance, he just tries to get a Newcastle player into his team of the week. And it's 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 like, hey, man, eventually it's going to get to a point where this is happening a lot often, like very often. And you're going to have to yeah. put your bias aside, sir. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think another person that deserves a shout is, is Joe Willock, I think, has had a really nice two last matches. It's been very under the radar. Yeah. He obviously had two assists last matches, but last match. But the, the level of confidence he's playing at, I mean, he's he's gotten much better with the, the you know, beating guys off the dribble saw an interesting stat uh so far this season 
Uh, Bruno is fourth in the Premier League with in, in terms of pass percentage um, under pressure. So if someone's pressuring him, uh, you know, he's he's that that's that, that that's the, the stat. Um, and this is from um, Sanjay in UFC, who is just an all around good stats guy. Um, and uh, the person behind him who's fifth in the Premier League with the same stat is uh, is Joe Willock. So. It's it's fascinating because I mean I think three four weeks ago I was saying we should drop Joe Willock for for a midfield three of, of Longstaff Jolenton and and Bruno um, but it's it's cert- he's certainly making it tough and again Sean Longstaff another just consistent match where he was just keeping things ticking along uh, I think the back line uh, they they were great uh, I, Ivan Tony just did not look dangerous at all in any in any uh, in any respect I mean I think. The only the most dangerous thing about him was he put in some bad challenges. Like I mean, he was it, they, they he had they had no answer. <laughs> he was uh, just a menace. <laughs> yeah, to the back line. I mean, it was just yeah. it was insane how how well they played as a unit, and honestly, how few opportunities, especially once after the first disallowed Brentford goal, it felt like like you said there there really weren't a lot of opportunities for Brentford. It was a lot of Newcastle from start yeah. to finish, and if Brentford had possession, it wasn't meaningful possession. It was a lot of passing around, kicking it about. Um, so, uh, yeah, and just real quick um, to, to hammer down on Bruno. He's in insane form right now. And uh, I've mentioned this before as, hey, like Bruno's, <laughs> Bruno's, um, you know, he's playing as a six, maybe try him as an eight and blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Just giving you the per 90 stats. This is from Sky Sports. This is what they're saying. Bruno G, per 90, leads all midfielders with four. Four tackles per 90. Possession one, 9.4. Uh, oh, sorry, he's nine, which is second only to Declan Rice. Carries per 90. 20, leads all midfielders. Chances created per 90. 2.1, leads all midfielders. Through balls per 90. 1.1, leads all midfielders. By a large margin, by the way. He's 1.1. And you're thinking about some of the other guys on this list, you know, that are in the same position. These are all sixes. Sorry, I, they were central midfielders. Um yeah. And uh, the other guys on the list, Declan Rice, Rodri, Thomas Partey, Jorginho, Hoysberg, Bentecourt, McTominay, McSauces, some call him Fabinho. And he's just been an absolute offensive weapon compared to those guys while also getting it done on the defensive side as, as a six. And so fair play to him. Insanely cool to see that. And he's certainly shut me up for sure. Um, but any anything um, – Anything else that kind of stuck out to you uh, just at, from the match as a whole? Um, we can kind of get into specifics and the nitty-gritty now that we've kind of given our overall thoughts of very dominant from Newcastle. These yeah. are the players we thought were good. Anything in particular stuck out to you? Yeah, I think um, you know, the description behind the very first goal, um, you know, it's a, it's a corner. I think they kind of got lost in the kind of got lost in the sauce there that that was a corner and it was kind of listed as a, as a short corner to Trippier, but it wasn't really a short corner. Was it? I mean, it goes back, uh, you know, um, a good, you know, 30, 30 yards from, from the corner to change the angle. And that ball yeah. in from Kieran was chef's kiss, right? Yeah, it was like, on a platter. Yeah. It was. And I, that that's training ground stuff. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that's how, that's how, and that's probably Trippier saying, yeah, this is what I can do and how saying go for it. Right. And so they changed the angle so that that's not a, that's not an in swinger 
uh, on a corner kick instead at sort of a, a an in swinger from deep, and it and it just gets a whole different spin on the ball. And um, oh, Bruno, I mean, has had to be the right place at the right time to finish that. To me, that's like that's the play of the game because not only was that incredibly like technically sound as far as goals go. Um, but it unlocked the rest of the match from there on, like having their, their first goal called back and then, and then us scoring a first goal, right. That just opened the floodgate. There was, I mean, it was just minutes later, the second goal scored. And so of course, you know, it isn't, it doesn't five nil or anything in the first half, but it ends with such, um, such a punctuation mark that it was just, you know, and that's where it started for me was with just with the technical ability of, of those two players to complete that first goal. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's a good shout. Um, I I just I mean I don't have any specific notes for sure, like particular moments in plays because I think it just was a dominant performance from start to finish. I think for me, what stuck out was it was such a good performance with without all the players that you know Newcastle fans and Newcastle players and. You know, it was it was without all of those players that are considered the best players on the pitch um, all at the same time. I mean, you know, even when ASM was was on the pitch, I mean, other guys, we, we were out and the guys were getting subbed off. It, it was just like very much so dominant performance, you know, not with that front three of Isak and Almiron and, and Cal Molson that people thought were going to be like the reason Newcastle would have this crazy offensive output. I mean, Joel Linton didn't start the match with Bruno in the midfield. In fact, you know, Joel Linton came on and for a moment was playing out wide and then got pushed back into the midfield when ASM came on. And I mean, ASM still looked dangerous, but it, it felt like he was at that point just toying with people, just kind of just getting his legs in And there was no like bring on ASM to like, come and get a result for us as it has been in the past. We would bring him on um, post-injury. So it just felt like a complete team performance in which, again, every player knew their role. Every player performed you know, their role to their best of their ability, and, and it paid off. I mean, from everything from, hey, like, you know, Dan Byrne at left back, we, we, we you know, when we're going forward, we're going to shift a little bit into a back three to allow Kieran Trippier more time and space going forward or stuff like that, where it's just everyone knew exactly what they needed to do. And that was just the, the thing that stood out to me the most. Um, just to close out some stuff from on my end, I do want to mention uh, just how good Newcastle have been so far. And I, I mean, I guess this could have been in the last segment when we're talking about Eddie Howe, but so far, I mean, and it's kind of leads into the next thing. Um, and uh, I'll let Josh end with his closing thoughts as well. Um, so far uh, this year, six in the Premier League uh, for Newcastle, 17 goals scored, which is fifth in the Premier League, nine goals conceded, which is first. So, I mean, we're one of the best defensive teams in the Premier League. I think we're tied for first. Um, 1.93 expected goals per 93rd, 1.08 uh, expected uh, assists per 90, uh, which is fifth. And then p- plus points sorry plus 7.7 expected goal differential third 53.1 percent possession seventh 16 shots per 90 fourth 96 high turnovers forced is it high turnovers forced first so i mean the press is working that's the last that yeah that's Um, right (laughs) that's that's the press is working but it is insane to see newcastle a team in which has not been top 10 in mostly anything except for goals conceded the past three or four years, 
be top 10 in all of, I mean, goals conceded in a bad way. I guess most goals allowed. I, I don't know. I don't, I, I have no idea what the proper way to say that stat is, but it was, we were usually conceding the most goals in the Prem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and also un, unfairly Eddie Howe got at the end of the season, uh, which is like pundits don't watch the teams they cover. Um, unfairly was like oh well you know newcastle still like finished with way more goals conceded and and it's like yes that's true but part of that was simply because like steve bruce was just we were leaking in goals for the first half of the season it was so, so bad it was so it was like, bad like, like we we had broken a record by december like it was it was not yeah. because of eddie howe it was no it's like, look it was at their January best on. friend it was their best friend stevie bruce was yeah. responsible for that and eddie howe had a lot to clean up so. yeah no, yeah. I, it, yeah, I think uh, I think uh, we we're looking good so far this season. Uh, what a great win it was! Uh, you know, we tonked, we tonked Fulham, we trashed Brentford, and yeah. I'm really excited to see what we're going to do to uh, that other United team that's over there uh, in the Northwest. Yeah, uh, let's let's get into it. Manchester United, we got them coming up. Team that, uh, well, who knows? I mean, I, I can't I can't say that this team looks good. <laughs> Uh, Man U, but they they have their they on paper it is a really good team. Have we seen the the best of Manchester United this season? No, um, schizophrenic. And, it's it's an absolutely schizophrenic team. Yeah, and all that being said, they're in fifth. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's 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 actually bananas. Um, but it does seem like there at least is um a little bit more consistency as of recent uh, under Mister Ten Hag. Um, it does seem like some of the players that they have are starting to find their form. It does look like the the Rashfords and Martials, and um, I mean, fair play to Anthony. He's been he's been pretty good so far uh, this season as well. So they they're starting to find their footing. But I mean, they just played uh, um, uh, they just played Everton, and it was two one. And Everton are Everton are not very good. Um, like just Everton fans are disappointed with the season so far. They're not great uh you know they're they're mid-table lower mid-table at best you know uh, performance wise according to their fans and in the table they're 12 and Manchester United didn't look great against a team that you know they people would say they should have comfortably beaten so um with all that being said let's let's actually get into the uh the preview um I guess we can go perspective first um we talked about where we are in the table. Fifth for sure. them, sixth for Newcastle. Yeah. Um, we've already read off all the Newcastle si- sides. Uh, Josh, let's let's get let's get into a little bit of history. Yeah, um, but let's recent results. Um, yeah, Manchester United. Uh, they started the season with two losses, and and if you if you recall back to the beginning of the season, many were even wondering if Ten Hag was the right guy. I mean, they had Ralph Ragnick last year, and I think that he was so heralded it. Heralded, heralded, yeah, somewhere in there. I'm going to pronounce it yeah. correctly. I do that too. Um, he was so well regarded going into that position as sort of like interim manager, and then he's good. He was going to stick around. He's going to set this club up. To, he was going to be there for the future and gone. Right, and just like that, it didn't work out. And they bring in Ten Hag, and he's just like not able clearly in the first two matches to like get this to gel. And and people were already calling for his head after the first two weeks. Like, what, is this guy the savior, or is he just another one that's going to go? Then they they rip off four successive wins, right? So, mm-hmm. and they beat teams. Um, you know, they beat teams. They beat Liverpool. 
at home. Yeah. Right. And then they get um, an, an away shutout at Southampton, an away shutout to Leicester. Now, this is before Leicester had completely had the wheels fall off. Like, this is before we had our suspicions, but Leicester yeah. is now bottom of the table. Um, and then they had a home win against Arsenal. So, in, in those four successive wins, they beat two and of the also- top. I'm about to say this is. I want yeah. to say that might have been Arsenal's first loss of the season because they were. I think it was. It might have been Arsenal's only loss of the season. Yeah, yeah, they, they yeah, only actually have, looking at it. Yeah, that's yeah, right. they only have one loss, and it, it, it's to this United team. Um, but then after that, they go away and they lose to Real Sociedad as soon as they start their, you know, their their Europe. Uh, a couple of games postponed. They get a, an away win at Sheriff, which I think is just you know, an, you know, one of their Europa League teams. And then they get absolutely trashed by City. Um, yeah, it, was, it was not pretty. No, and and look, man, City is a beast. But hey, you know we we drew we drew them. Yeah. What are you going to do? Um, <laughs> yeah, and, you know. And then they didn't look good uh, with an away win at uh, Amandia, which is another Europa League team. And uh, and then they have this uh, come from behind. Um, they went down. They went down one yeah. 0 and then they came back and they scored scored a pair and to beat Everton uh, away, um, you know, to beat the Toffees away. So, uh, and and again, they play tomorrow, as we're recording yeah. on, on a late, late, late on a Tuesday night uh, Pacific time. They're going to play Wednesday at home at least, uh, but another Europa League, and this is going to stretch their this is going to stretch their uh, their roster. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, with Ten Hag, I mean, all of these matches, um, he plays a four, he he played a four three three in their very first match versus Brighton that they they lost, and he's played a four two three one ever since. So he's sort of mm-hmm. decided to go double pivot and protect his back line. But I got to tell you, um, I don't know. How, they they spent a ton of money on Casemiro. They brought in Eriksson, and I'm going to tell you, they seem soft. They yeah. seem soft in the middle. And both of those guys seem a little bit more interested in getting involved than uh, than they do in covering the back line. Um, so it'll be really, you know, it'll be really interesting to see who they played in in those double pivot roles, uh, you know, um, tomorrow and on the weekend as well. Yeah, um, we'll say. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll get to that later, actually. But um, but yeah, I yeah, it's Manchester United are a confusing team, um, and it's to be fair, this is also one of the you have to get recruitment right on all fronts sort of things where it did feel like, I mean, Manchester United maybe spent a while chasing some bigger names instead of like targets they needed to really shirk the team. You look at like the players they've signed in the past, you know, couple of years and and the fit. Uh, It's been fascinating uh, to see like, you know, people were Eric Ten Hag out, but it's like, look at what he inherited. He inherited a, a, a team uh, who, did not have a holding midfielder, a proper holding midfielder, and uh, he needed a defensive midfielder uh, to, yeah. to, to, <laughs> to, to, to go out and get like Casemiro, which I, I think is a good signing. But I mean, he's still been able to make it work with other players, uh, uh, other players um, kind of taking the reins. Uh, anything else you got uh, before we get into uh, like the injuries and suspensions? Yeah, portion? yeah, I did want to, I did want to mention uh, historic results. Um, we won one nil. The last time I think we beat them was one nil in 2019. Mm-hmm. And since then, that was the, um, the, uh, the Maddie Longstaff goal. It was, it was the Maddie Longstaff goal. I was going to, yeah. Uh, we got, we got that, that win in 2019 and then, um, three losses like, and those losses were bad. All three yeah. of them were four, were four, one losses. 
uh, in a row and then a draw. We've been outscored by Manchester United 13 to five in that time. Um, the biggest or, you know, bestest win, I think that since I've been paying attention and, and certainly it's a classic is the uh, five nil thrashing in 1996 mm-hmm. um, with Darren Peacock, uh, David Ginola, Alan Shearer, Les Ferdinand and Philippe Albert all scoring on that night. And of course, Albert, the a legendary fifth goal. I think once upon a time, Taylor and Bestie uh, were doing some sort of project called uh, looking for number five or something like that. And uh, guys, I gave you some money a long time ago for this project <laughs> and it was a, a wee funder and I don't know what, I don't know what happened to it. So uh, yeah, get back to me boys. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. Uh, so let's just get into the injuries and suspensions. Uh, not, you know, the usual suspects are, are out for Newcastle. Uh, Shelby, like we said, uh, we said previously ahead of schedule, but at a schedule means that he might return right before the World Cup. So doesn't mean that he will play for Newcastle before the World Cup. I think the smart mm-hmm. thing to do would mm-hmm. be to just kind of, you know, get him involved, get him in training, uh, you know, maybe bring him on. I, I don't know how I'm saying this. Eddie Howe does this already. Uh, this isn't Steve Bruce, so I don't need to say that. Uh, Matt Ritchie is <laughs> currently out. Um Isak, uh, Josh, you've got here that he looks 25% and could return as early as this weekend. But would you? And to answer that question, I would say no. No. Um, yeah, I don't think there's a need to. Uh, you've got Callum Wilson looks good. Um, he, he's quite involved. I think he, I want to say he had an assist this last match. I have to. Uh, I can't he did. remember. He did. Yeah. yeah. He, um, he uh, slid that ball right across it to Murphy. Who, yeah, I would say I, I'm yeah. pretty sure the tap in. Um, so yeah, uh, so I mean he, he's he's fine, uh, and again Miguel Amaron's unreal. Uh, ASM looks lively, uh, which is my favorite British uh, adjective to use. Lively. Or I guess that's an adver- adverb, maybe. Um, he looked lively uh, as well, so I think that's probably your front three is ASM yeah. Wilson and uh, and Almiron. and you know if Isak oh. is up for it, you you could bring him on later on as well. But rubbing um, my hand he- for that uh, that front three, oh my gosh, buddy. Buddy, that is that's sexy time, man. I'm telling you, I am looking forward to seeing that 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 front three in action. Um, Manchester United, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, yeah, uh, United's got uh, Donny van der Beek, he's out with a, what's uh, quoted as a knock. Yeah, uh, Rafael Varan, he's got a sprained ankle, and Mason Greenwood is serving a suspension. So, well, um, <laughs> We don't need to get into Mason Greenwood. There is one more Manchester United player that's out, which oh, yeah. may not benefit Newcastle. Um, it's it's actually probably bad news for Newcastle, but Mick Sauce is not going to be playing because uh, he's also suspended. Yeah, um, I saw your post in Twitter. Uh, so, what does that mean for us? What does that What does that mean? Uh, so, where's McTominay? Has been playing in one of those two pivot spots, right? Um, yeah, as well. So uh, that that probably means depending on depending on who um, Ten Hag plays tomorrow, um, mm-hmm. and if he cares to give them a break, um, it could be Erickson and Casemiro on on, uh, on the weekend. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you could sure maybe Fred plays, but I, I doubt. I think, like you said, I think Newcastle are garnering respect. So I, I, I'm curious to see. Um, you know what Ten Hag puts out there, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, I think this is going to be a good good match. I think there's a lot of Newcastle fans that you know are not concerned about Manchester United, but I think this is going to be a much more even match than 
and people are alluding yeah. to. And I said this yeah. about Brentford, and I was completely wrong. Yeah. But I do feel in my my bones that this is going to be a little bit more tight than uh, folks are alluding to. Um, you maybe think it'll the difference be... is one goal or, or, or draw. You think it'll be cagey, or do you think it'll be a shootout? Mm. That's kind of tough because, I mean, it's not like either team is devoid of creating chances. I think sometimes it takes a little bit for Manchester United to, to wake up. Um, they've got a lot of really good individually skilled players that create chances on their own, which I think could lead to a little bit of a shootout. But I think it's a shootout in which both keepers – are just putting in insane amounts of work. So it's a shootout, but maybe it ends 2-2, not like, you know, 3-3, three, 4-4. Three, four, four. I think it's going to be like a 2-2 a two, two draw or 2-1 win or 2-1 loss. I, I think that – that, but mm. there's going to be a lot of shots taken, a lot of chances created, but also some really good defending um, and, uh, you know, some really good uh, goalkeeping. And that's probably in that – if you're talking about advantages for a team – I would give Newcastle the for sure advantage in defense um, just because I just don't, I I don't know. Like if you can say with your whole chest that Manchester United has a great defense, uh, there's just been, I wouldn't say it's a merry-go-round of defenders, but there's a lot, there's been, they've had a, they've had a a bit of rotating there and it hasn't been for uh, tactical reasons all the time. It's just been players aren't performing up to the level they should be. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's never a good sign where Trent Alexander-Arnold is being, uh, you know, memed as uh, Harry Maguire as in terms of like being so bad at defending. So we'll see, but I do think that's one area where, you know, I could, I could see Newcastle having a, a decent amount of chances, uh, just creating chances the way they do and just making that back line very uncomfortable in that regard. I mean, and again, we, I mean, we saw Everton nick an early goal, against against this back line um and i mean we'll see i don't know i'm curious and i'm also curious to see this is the last curious thing to see is um lissandro martinez i i actually i mean he's he's a if you're a fifa player you've you've heard the name before yeah (laughs) i I was curious to see like how he does in the prem i I did think there was going to be like it's just such a physical league i never i honestly did not foresee him coming to the prem um i thought you know maybe he'd end up in like La Liga or something else, you know, maybe a slightly less physical league. But I mean, he's, he's, he's been, he's been, I think he started off pretty rocky, but he's been solid since then. I do wonder, and this, this is kind of what tipped me off, um, is the, the, um, what, what the Manchester city game. Um, I, I do wonder how he does against like more physical, kind of demanding strikers. Uh, and I, Callum Wilson is going to be one that's going to get in his face and, and try to bully him. So I think that's just an interesting battle to watch. I think Callum Wilson, if, if playing, which I would expect him to, is going to really uh, try to force Martinez into some 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 uncomfortable situations, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. I think Ten Hag is in a pickle here. Mm-hmm. I think um, aside from you know bringing um, – Martinez in 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 the in the summer, um, they still got Victor Lindelof lining up yeah. back there, and I and don't. If it's not him. It's Varane who also isn't been hasn't been yeah. great. I mean, and if it's not Varane, it's Maguire who also hasn't been great. The butt the butt <laughs> of all jokes about the English football right now, <laughs> yeah. um, you know. And and Casemiro, 
well heralded as some sort of fantastic signing from Real. And maybe, you know, maybe a Manchester United fan would be screaming at me right now. But just observationally, um, you pull him out of out of La Liga and you insert him into the Premier League. And I'm sorry, he seems leaky. He doesn't seem he hasn't seemed locked down. He hasn't seemed um, he hasn't seemed uh, like he's uh, he's he's going to protect uh, Martinez and Lindelof or whoever lines up back there in, in the, in the center half positions. Um, I, 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 and I think that, uh, Ten Hag is really in a pickle here because the majority of his fantastic players and look, having Ronaldo up as your nine, uh, I think Martial wasn't cutting it, or I don't know if he got hurt or if he, uh, just wasn't cutting it and having Ronaldo being able to come off the bench is, is a real threat. And Anthony yeah. is no joke. I'm telling you right now, like Anthony's my guy. He's going to, he's, uh, he's got three on the season. I'm calling him for at least one goal this match uh, against uh, Manchester United. Um, I haven't missed in the last three matches. Anthony's going to get yeah. his goal. But do they get a second? Maybe they do. Do they get a third? I, I don't know. If they get a third, we have three. Because in order for them to get their goals, they're going to have to come. They're going to have to... like They play in a 4-2-3-1. And Erickson and Casemiro are going to have to get drawn... They're going to have to get sucked into the offense and, and that's going to open them, open up those channels. And uh, if we get to play our counterattack, which, you know, uh, a high press turn, high press turnover or low block counter, I'm not quite, you know, I'm not quite sure what we'll see. Um, but if we, you know, probably that high press is what Howe has been doing. God, this is going to be to me. I could see threes. I could see, I could see threes. Um, you know, let's we'll get to our prediction, and I'll think about I'll think about what I'll predict. But uh, the, they're going to have at least one, and I think we're going to have at least one more than they do. Yeah, I, I will say in Casemiro's defense, he hasn't played as much as I thought he would. Okay, uh, it's they he, they've for the prim especially they've definitely stuck with the Erickson McTominay double pivot. Which, sure, I mean, I I I, I don't know if you could say it's necessarily worked, and I mean in his like you know proper full 90 um against Everton I mean he was by far one of their better players got the assist um just raw numbers just was ticking throughout the midfield 70 passes attempted 80% of those completed a couple chances created a couple shots you know all that kind of stuff few a uh, couple tackles interceptions you know did did some stuff but yeah I mean defensively wasn't wasn't like stellar by any means and just did not really have a crazy uh dangerous attack to really put a lot of pressure on that back line once you know once once manchester united sort of took control of the game so i don't know if this sort of match will sue casemiro who is i mean let's be real he's played at real madrid where they are used to having so much of the ball i'm not going to say they're not used to defending that's not true um for sure but i mean it's just he definitely is at his best when he's able to be that midfielder that, you know, keeps things ticking, keeps things moving along, allows for a guy like Erickson to get a little bit further forward um, as well. And then I think the, the other thing I would say is just like, I'm curious to see how Manchester United deal with the press. Uh, if you look at the teams that they've played that traditionally press per se, uh, and they, they play Liverpool, but you look at Liverpool and like that team that Liverpool put out, I mean, the midfield they put out was not a great midfield. I mean, they were kind of mm. little, little injuries uh, at the beginning of the season. So I think that's definitely part of the reason that 
you know, Manchester United were a little bit successful against them. It's, you know, the results tell one story, but looking at the match and recalling that match myself, I was like, I feel like there was something off about Liverpool that match as well. And then I looked and I was like, oh, yeah, they started a midfielder of Milner, Henderson, and Harvey Elliott, which oh, bless, bless, yeah. Yeah, bless, bless their hearts. I mean, Milner and Elliott just aren't to the, the same level of player that mid, that Liverpool typically have in the midfield um, with, with Keita or Thiago or, you know, even Konate or Oxley Chamberlain. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it, it, it is, it tells a different story. So I'm curious to see how this back line does against a team that's going to continue to press them um, any opportunity they have in this midfield as well uh, with a guy like Bruno who loves to get forward, um, mm-hmm. you know, Erickson who's not a crazy good defensive midfielder and, you know, Casemiro, or if they don't go with Casemiro, they go with Fred. I mean, if it's Fred, uh, get ready for some turnovers. I mean, it's, so it's <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's 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 going to be fascinating to see how they deal with the press. I think that's the thing I'm most curious about, and they could prove me wrong. Um, but for now, uh, there's nothing that that has led me to believe that they will. So um, let's let's hop into those predictions real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So unlike the last few years where I was sort of dreading who we were going to play the next week, I think even with it being Manchester United, I'm really looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think um, I think we've got a real probability of, or a possibility, a plausibility of, of putting a few past them. And um, I know that sounds weird. I think we're going to do them. I think we're going to, I think we're going to do them. Uh, boom, 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 boom. Let's say... Well, it could be it could be as high as three three, but I think we're gonna win. I think we're gonna win three two. Hmm. I think okay. it's gonna be a shootout. I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be end to end open stuff. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. I think I'm gonna go two 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 draw. Uh, I think I'll leave it at that. I think I think it's gonna be an entertaining match, but I do think that uh, both keepers are gonna also have just really good days. I think when all said and done, I think Nick Pope's gonna have. A yeah. massive day, and De Gea is going to remind is people that he's, that he's De Gea. Uh, I think yeah. it's tough being a keeper because uh, you know you have like it's 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 one or the other. There's never like a. And I think Dubrovka got some of this as well at Newcastle, where it's like you know when you make a mistake, it's so bad, no one's going to stop. Everyone's talking about it for weeks, and you get that stench, and it's like you get that stench until you have an unreal, <laughs> unreal uh, performance. And I know like De Gea had some embarrassing goals put past him in the in the city match i mean like you know not covering the near post you know things yeah. like that um and, and some of that's on their defense uh and just 1v1 it's it's just usually the attacker wins but i mean he still is De Gea, and he still is insanely good uh <laughs> at what he does um so we do have one question uh, i do want to give people a quick tidbit fun fact uh newcastle legend hoslu is currently second in the golden boot race in La Liga. So that's something that we will be definitely taking what? Uh, paying attention to. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> Lewandowski is nine and Hostler is six. It's insane. It's early doors, as they say. Yeah, it's it's very early. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> he's he's crushing it, Espanol. Um, so good for him. Uh, okay, uh, let me pull up this question real quick um actually i kind of i i do remember it off the top of my head but i don't want to misquote so i will just make sure that i read it verbatim it's from our good friend eric in ufc indiana um which again follow eric just because there's nothing else in indiana besides eric so that's just wild he's there's a reason in ufc in ufc indiana was uh, available when he created his account in 2020 
Uh, we'll just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> I've got no real question, so a fun hypothetical one instead. Do you think we would have avoided relegation if, if Unai Emery had taken over instead of Howe? And that is oh. an interesting question that I don't think anyone's asked. I saw that Toonpole's asked, would you rather have Bruce backed by the PIF or Howe backed by Ashley? And that's that's one we can answer as well. But uh, I, let's, let's let's do the, the Emery one first. No, and I, I don't think I don't think that we would have uh, uh, survived, and and I think he knew it, and I think yeah. that's why it didn't happen. I don't think it's I don't think it's in his remit um, to operate under that type of stress. Uh, he's a he's a he's a, um, a quality man manager, and I you know and, and the quality's got to already be there. I don't think that he can squeeze the best out of something that isn't performing, but he can take something that's performing. And 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 uh, and maybe uh, maintain and, and maybe get something out of it, uh, like one, a yeah yeah. Uh, one thing I will say about watching Emery uh, at his various locations is like it does take a while for him to implement his system, and once it's implemented, like the teams usually do fairly well. But you know, you're talking like you got to You got to get results within, especially where Newcastle were at the time. I think we were second from bottom uh, maybe maybe second from bottom might have been third from bottom i think we were second from bottom actually you have to pick up results quickly so you don't have time to like implement a crazy brand new system like even right. when you look at like what how implemented last season versus like how we got ticking along in january we went from a team that was just solid at the back you know choosing moments when to press to like now we're a team that is pressing and counter pressing like crazy and so you can tell that how waited to implement what he really wanted to do um, because he knew that in order to get results, we needed to shore up everything defensively and start finding new avenues of, of chance creation. So those are the things that were focused on early on. And, I mean, it paid off in dividends. I mean, Newcastle uh, obviously did really well. And uh, the better they did, the more we were able to implement more of what Howe was trying to do. You saw January as we went along, as we shored up the defense, that you saw more and more players um, pressing. And, you know, now you have – a team that you know the entire midfield plus the front three are are constantly making folks uncomfortable. So yeah, I would agree with that. I think Emery would not have have. I think we. I don't know if we would have been relegated, but I definitely think we would have finished as high because I do think there is some merit into. I don't know actually. I mean, because you also have to take into consideration what I said earlier about Eddie Howe and uh, also figuring out who they wanted to bring in. Um, and he kind yeah. of knows the league and knows how important experience is. And I don't know if if. If uh, if Emery would have tried to bring in Trippier, or definitely wouldn't have signed Dan Byrne or Matt Target. You know, that's like a right. Those need were, to know those the print and yeah, and know Matt Target was was a good player before uh, they yeah. decided to bring in and decided to bring in Luca Dean. So, you know what's I mean, really funny about that is um, at the time that Eddie Howe was being considered for the position, people were deriding his his signings during uh, his last season and a half. At Bournemouth, and uh, you know those very signings that he would they were being questioned are the are the guys that got them promoted back up to the Prem uh, last year, right? Yeah. And so it's like, uh, you know, Eddie, there's just something special about it. Let me throw another name at you. Okay. I mean, since we're talking about this question, um, there was a there was another name that was in the mixer, and uh, 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 Paulo Fonseca, who uh, mm-hmm. he was the yeah. manager, I think, most previously at Roma, and has since taken the role at uh, at uh, Lille, but. Yeah. Um, he there were some videos available on YouTube that sort of explained um, his his system. 
And I was like super hype on this guy. I was like, yeah. if we if we survived, but it wasn't he wasn't the guy that was going to save us. It was like yeah. we were if we were going to survive, it was going to be by the skin of our teeth. But this guy's like his his football philosophy was so like exciting that like you know like almost had to just like calm myself down take an ice an, an icy cold shower because you know like his football philosophy go look these youtube videos up on paulo yeah. fonseca and um you, you will get super hyped for him um but it was just like wrong guy wrong guy wrong time um maybe one day like eddie eddie nothing is forever in football and yeah. um as much as i love eddie how we we gotta love him as much as we can for the next two or three years because with the ambition and the money that's behind um, our ownership. I mean, I don't, I don't see anyone ever being another Sir Alex Ferguson. I don't see anyone being an, an, another winger. I, you know, I don't see that. I don't see that happening again. Um, I hope to be wrong. I hope Eddie Howe is the solution and we win um, league titles and cups with him, but maybe we don't. And in five years we see a new face. And if that is maybe not Fonseca himself, but someone like him or someone like Unai Emery, um, that we're stable and we're in the top 10 all the time with the money. I'd love to see one of these guys come in with some really interesting ideas. It would be really exciting. Yeah. I, I do think it is fascinating you say that because we did, we do see that right now. It's just not, I don't think it's in the same vein as like what we saw in the past where uh, Sir Alex and, 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 and our scene were so involved uh, to a T of like, they were also, I mean, at, at tech, like, like the sporting director and everything like you got to remember I mean, Pep's tenure at Man City has been for a while. I mean, you could say the same thing about Jurgen Klopp and mm-hmm. even when they haven't delivered on those, maybe every single goal possible. I mean, you think about Klopp, he hasn't, he's only won the league what, maybe once or twice in uh, seven once, years. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and, and again, that's a long time to be at a club right now in this day and age at any level. I mean, you, it's really hard pressed to find someone who's who's been around at a club for more than five or so years. So, I, yeah, I don't know if we'll see another 10, 10 to 15 year reign for sure. But Pep and Klopp are, are going to be the closest. I, I don't really envision a world in which Klopp is fired anytime soon or Pep by by that means. Uh <laughs> I mean, Zidane maybe was another one as well that stuck around and he left on his own terms, really. I mean, so I think if the right manager comes along uh, and these are both guys who were already successful and already done at the highest level. And I mean, not that how I mean, how hasn't done that. And I'm not saying he, he couldn't, but I also wouldn't be surprised that if he's able to evolve with the club and if he continues to improve as a manager, because remember, I mean, comparatively speaking, he's a young manager. I don't see it out of the realm of possibility. I mean, as much as it would be cool and smart and sexy to get a Mourinho in or something like that, I say, why not? How? I mean, you saw kind of Graham Potter just for so long has been a staple at Brighton and yeah, he got poached by Chelsea, but I think that's another one where it's like, if he hadn't, I don't see a world in which Brighton are relegated from the Premier League and Potter is not the coach. The only way he was going to leave that team was if, a better offer came along Someone and came I think in for him. that's kind of the, the, the vision I'm seeing for how right now. And maybe the Saudis get, you know, impatient at a certain point, but maybe for now it does seem like, you know, unless he's constantly losing cup finals and stuff, like, I, I don't know. I think if he can get that, that league win or FA cup win or Europa league win, 
I think that's that, and he can kind of replicate that success. I think that he could stick around for a while. Well, I hope you're right, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, I do too. I mean, I like him, and I think the players love him. I mean, uh, Dan Byrne had some quotes from NUFC TV talking about Miguel Amaron, and he was just like, you know, they were like, what what has made him so good? And they're like, I mean, this manager has instilled so much confidence in him, and he's like, that's so important. Like, it's all confidence, and it's like, he he just hadn't had that since he started his his tenure in Europe, and this is the the manager that's gotten the most out of him and just made him incredibly confident. And I think the way that Howe's walked the line of being a really good, you know, he's been good tactically as well as just managed the player as well. It's it's really tough to 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 see him leave uh, if if that happens. Um, and then real quick, just I w- I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the whole sure. uh, how it how and how and Mike Ashley versus uh. Bruce and PIF. Oh, I'm going to go with how I want to go with how no matter what I just look, man, I don't care how much money you give Steve Bruce. He doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, yeah, I think here, here, here's my pushback. And this is the only thing. Cause I think, like you said, I think how would be able to get things done and we would still be in the picture. But I think the difference with PIF and Bruce is that, you know, the PIF would fire Bruce, and I think that if you're if oh, you're not, gonna, yeah, I mean, okay, yeah. if, and that's the thing is like if you're gonna if you're not gonna clarify that technicality, like it's a five year run with either one of those, yeah, for like how long? If, I if, guess is the caveat, if you're limited right? to like a three to five year run with Ashley and Howe versus versus uh Bruce and PIF, like you know, it's kind of, I mean, I don't know, Bruce has gotten super lucky with. <laughs> <laughs> the last couple of years but yeah i think like you said it it would be it, it's a different story when you consider the pif would would fire sleepers <laughs> but like immediately which is yeah almost what but, they did but they did right so <laughs> and even then people were like this they've waited too long to fire him and i was like just i was right yeah. there though i was like yeah. why is that why does this guy still have a job like he would have been the first thing like clearly you don't know what you're doing i could fire you and I could, I could, I could bring on Elijah Newsome, and dude, the team would be more well oiled. Yeah, so. you could, you could literally do a fan coalition of like, yes, football manager players. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Cool. Well, that that's it for uh, to today's or this week's episode of Station Radio. Um. Break this up. Listen to it on the commute. Whatever you want. It's always good vibes over here. Um, I'm Elijah Newsom. That's been Joshua Duder. Is that how I say your last name? That's right, Dude. Er. Dude, er. Um, this has been an episode of CHN Radio. Away the lads, and uh, we love you. But I wish I was on the case side. Looking at the old time bridge. I'm coming home, Newcastle. I might as well have been in jail. I'd walk the streets all day. I'll meet for a bottle of your own brown hill. I'm coming home. If you never win the cup again, I'll brave the dark at St. James's Park if the Gallagher's end in the rain. I'm coming home. And I'm proud to be a Jody and to live in Jody land. Some people think we're bawdy and we're hard to understand. And they say it's just self pity. And we're not so very tough Cause the people in the big fat city Haven't had it tough as rough I'm coming home, Newcastle You can keep your London wing I'd walk the streets all day I'll meet for a bottle of the River Tyne I'm coming home, Newcastle I 
wish I'd never been a weird I'd kiss the ground for the welcome sound And me mother saying, hey, how weird I'm coming home Then I miss the old blind busker Who stands at Fenwick's door He plays a mean accordion You've all seen him there before the Geordie heroes, there's so many famous names Like Linda Swan and Gaza, Brendan Foster and the Gateshead Games I'm coming home, Newcastle, I might as well have been in jail I'd walk the streets all day, I'll need for a bottle of your own brown nail I'm coming home, Newcastle, if you never win the cup again I'll brave the dog, it's in James's Park, in the Gallagher's end in the rain I'm coming home Newcastle, you can keep your London wine. I've walked the streets all day, I'll need for a bottle of the River Tyne. I'm coming home, Newcastle. I wish I'd never been away. I'd kiss the ground for the welcome sound of me mother saying, Hey, how weird. I'm coming home, Newcastle. I might as well have been in jail. I'd walk the streets all day, I'll need for a bottle of your own brown nail. I'm coming home, Newcastle. If you never win the cup again, I'll brave the dog is in jail.